Welcome to Blockbusted, the movie review podcast where two white dudes ask, can we forgive Jake Gyllenhaal for what he did to Taylor? I'm Mitch. I'm Max. And today we're looking at Donnie Darko and Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Insert intro music here. Alright. Uh, so, I mean, first of all, hi Max, how are you doing? I'm good. How have you been? I'm pretty good too. Uh, I had a, I started uni today, so you know, um, good stuff, but how about you? What'd you do today? Uh, I worked. Classic. Classic as always. Yep, you know, me and the work. Alright, cool. Well, um, I don't think there's much reason to dilly-dally. Um, I think we should go straight in to, you know, the, uh, the films that we have to discuss today. Um, obviously I think our listeners can see that the, uh, the, the combining thread this week is Jake Gyllenhaal. Certain controversial, uh, fella, would you say? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. Should we, should we let our viewers, our viewers, <laughs> our, our potential listeners know what to expect on Blockbuster, maybe? That might be a good idea, actually, since this is our first episode and all. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, each week we're going to come to you with um, a new film. And an old film. And an old film, as in new to the scene, not new that we are looking at. Um, like a, a recent release. Like a recent release. Co- the Covenant, I thought, was actually this year. It turns out it was 2022, apparently. Uh. Maybe. Hold on. Maybe it was 2023. Oh, no, it was a different movie that was 2020. I'm thinking of something else. It was 2023. We're good. Usually, yeah, as I said, uh, we will come with you to a, 20, a current year release um, and then a movie that is tangentially connected somehow. Sometimes more connected than others. Yeah. Um, I'd say this week, I mean, the reason why we did Jake Gyllenhaal was simply because I had to watch Donnie Darko for uni, and I figured it would be a good jumping-off point for this uh, this podcast. And then it just so happened that The Covenant had also come out earlier this year. Yeah, I I was recommended that we do um, Donnie Darko and Brokeback Mountain, but unfortunately that doesn't oh, fit our Jake- criteria. <laughs> I think we're going to do um, <laughs> old first then new i this will not always be the case i think sometimes we'll do new first then old it's whatever we feel like but let's let's start with the more um in-depth film the one that has can devise more conversation uh donnie darker i guess initial thoughts what do you think i liked it i i I, it's definitely my kind of film i think (laughs) that that much is pretty obvious it um, was very weird. I liked yeah, it a lot too. I, I love a good little weird little film by a director that I have no idea existed and apparently did nothing else afterwards. Is that really the case? Um, I had a quick look online. I think he may have been involved in Rocky Four, but that's about it. The best Rocky. I, I haven't seen know. any of the Rockies. <laughs> ah, we'll get to them eventually. So, yeah, I mean, look, uh, it was 
odd because upon like the immediately start of watching it, I got like those 80s nostalgia vibes that we've been writing off of since Stranger Things became popular. Yeah. Which was very weird because this was made in the 2000s, way before the 80s nostalgia thing really became a thing. Yeah, so this is, what, um, October 2001. Um, when they made it. When, when it got released, Oh, yeah. released, sorry, yeah. Um, not made it. They didn't make it in one... Actually, yeah. well, they did make it in a month. They only made it in 28 days. Oh, wow. I, I actually yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, which is also the amount of time that Donnie has till the end of the world. Yeah, yeah, right. Dies. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting little side bit. They actually made that movie in... 28 days, and then the original director's cut only had 28 scenes. Mm. Um, but yeah, you were saying, sorry, before I... Yeah, no, there's definitely, dumped. like, I've just, I've got written down here, it's like, it definitely gives off that, yeah, that 80s nostalgia um, aesthetic. Um, we see a lot of similarity to things that have come up in Stranger Things, and it sort of makes me think maybe this is like as much as this isn't an 80s film, it's a, a touchstone for that sort of 80s nostalgia that we're inundated with now. Um, like especially taking something like Stranger Things, you have the kids on bikes, you have um, classic mentions of time travel, of like referential moments to Back to the Future. Um, the soundtrack is obviously very um, 80s, um, like, like uh, popular music, but as in, like, it's 80s style music, if you were. Um, like, even down to um, the mention of Einstein Rosenbridge, um, which I was um, sitting in that scene where he's talking to the science teacher, where Donnie's talking to the science teacher, um, yep. And I'm just going, I feel like Stranger Things ripped straight out of this movie because um, yeah. it's like so uh, similar to what we're seeing here. And, you know, it's a, 20, it's a film that's 20 years older. Um, mm -hmm. It really makes you think like how much of, how much recent stuff has been inspired by older 80s nostalgia films. Yeah, before the 80s nostalgia really became as popular mm. as big. I think the thing that really got me at the start was when, first of all, the bike thing, but I was kind of like, I didn't realize it was set during the 80s because I didn't read a synopsis before <laughs> watching it. So I was like, oh, bikes can be any time. But then there was a person who was just reading it straight up on the, um, like, I think the mom's reading it as he walks into the house. Yeah. And he's, he's the, on the fridge, it says, where is Donnie and all that. It's like the introduction. Right yeah, before I, the, um, I mean, even in that opening shot, you have, the, like couple of joggers in the like fluorescent mm. um sort of it's not latex but that like shiny sort of athleisure wear that was very popular yeah. yeah but yeah so look i think that it was it was interesting to see that like i guess that the 80s nostalgia has really been around for longer than just the past what decade less than even mm. um i don't know when when did turn things come out like 20 i guess 2014 was 2013 oh uh, yeah i guess so so what's that so it's a decade now 12 years we're going oh, on a yeah? decade yeah um but yeah so uh same well first things first uh it's weird some there's some actors in here that i'm kind of just like oh in interesting yeah definitely uh weird rapey seth rogan 
was the one that really got me the most. Yeah, the like pedophile Seth Rogen. Pedophile oh, was he? No, a pedophile? it's not pedophile Seth Rogen. It's pedophile. Um. Oh my god, I'm Pedoph- I'm actually gonna pull up a cast list now because well, there was, there, I was gonna say child porn was an insane twist. Yeah, like just, it's just halfway th- like we're well, not even halfway through at the end. Um, kind of saves Donnie's actions a little bit that he did that. Um. Cause I don't, I, it's Patrick Swayze as 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 oh, the child pedophile. Weird a, child. I guess, a, yeah, all the <laughs> all the dude actors in this weird sex pests. Uh, yeah, Seth Rogen. He he tries to you know hit on the girl who um eventually ends up being uh Donnie's girlfriend or I don't know if you'd call it that. Like they go they they go what, what do they, they call it? What, they were going. They're going. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, I mean, look, the terminology that we use nowadays, I don't think is much better, honestly. So I'm not going to yeah. judge it. Um, but yeah, a weird child, child pedophile, or just pedophile, uh, Patrick Swayze, um, irritating Drew Barrymore. Um, so I like her mostly, but <laughs> the part that it would irritate me is when we're first introduced, or not first introduced, but when we're introduced to her class. But yes, so no, sorry. Uh, so Drew Barrymore, she, uh, she, she talks to um, I can't remember Donnie's Donnie's girlfriend or the soon to be at that point. Uh, she walks in because she's a new student, and um, Drew Barrymore tells her to sit next to the cutest boy, or the boy she thinks is the cutest. Yeah, I think you would have your teaching license revoked if you I did that. Think now would just not play her games in general, honestly. I'd leave. You wouldn't uh, sit next to the cutest boy? I would refuse. Or what I would do to make it really weird is I would sit next to her. Because I assume if I was being asked to walk in... Yeah, no, make her uncomfortable. If she's going to make me uncomfortable like this, I'm going to do that and make her feel uncomfortable. Because that's okay. a shithouse thing to do, I reckon. Yeah. Like, like this kid's new, right? This kid is mm. new. She hasn't met anyone yet and the first thing you're doing is making her out some herself like in the class like what i mean obviously there's no it's not a crush because she barely knows anyone but having to say that she's physically attracted to someone like that's just yeah it's, weird. Uh, it's yeah there's a lot of this like i mean it's very much of the time that sort of um not of not the 80s the like early early aughts um sort of just uh like mild like horniness to everything i don't know i mean compared um, to other movies from the aughts it's not as horny but still. no like definitely it's it but it's just like it just permeates through it and it's like even just like um what does he describe it as a spear um the like path that they uh, see yeah um, the the like the destiny paths or whatever you want to call it um it's just like all just a little bit phallic um <laughs> i didn't think of it like that but okay <laughs> it's a big long like tube rounded tube thing like of oh. course it's a bit phallic i mean to be fair the way i viewed it was have you ever seen the abyss with james cameron no by james cameron all right so there's like weird this is a bit of a spoiler for a movie that was set, made in like the 80s i think so uh sorry uh but there's aliens in that movie and they can control water and it looked like like the, the water faces that they make 
because there's like there's like a point where like there's like a weird long water face tentacle thing that because obviously right. it's set set in like a drilling thing under the ocean point is it looked like that and so that's what i was thinking of because when i watched that movie abyss up in year old or a 10 year old or something and i wasn't thinking of penis maybe nowadays i would think of thought of penis if i'd seen it. but to me it just looked like bad water effects from the 80s i mean yeah um <laughs> but yeah wild cast obviously like yeah jake gyllenhaal as donnie darker i think this was probably his breakout role mm. you have his, Drew ba- his sister as maggie gyllenhaal is his sister as well like sister, both yeah. in both the movie and which is i think that's crazy honestly yeah so jake gyllenhaal maggie gyllenhaal playing his sister in the movie and in real life you have um, Drew Barrymore as, as uh, his English teacher. Um, Seth Rogen is just like some kid. Some um, bully kid. And Patrick Swayze as a pedophile. It's like very strange Insane. given that like like the careers of some of these people and um, the fact that like, yeah, I, I can't find anything else that I've seen or heard of. That this director's done, and actually the one, the cherry on top was um, Ashley Tisdale, who you may know as Sharpay from High School Musical. Oh yeah, um, was an extra, uh, not an extra, but like a, a cast member with a small role. I think it's a like it's not a named role, but it's like child screaming or something. She's like a background character type thing, or yeah, yeah, but in insane. Um, but yeah, cause I mean, look, you, you, you have a look and you, you see what they, like, all these people went on to, as you said, like Jake Gyllenhaal is obviously one of the most prolific actors we have to date. Nightcrawler. Uh, yeah. And then you got, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal playing the replacement of Katie Holmes in the dark Knight. Mm. Subsequently just gets blown up. Um, because, as we know, Christopher Nolan can't really doesn't really know what to do with female characters too often. And he does um, like bombs. He loves a good bomb. But yeah, so look, I mean, I guess I guess the big question is, do you think Donnie was nuts? I mean, it's it's one of those movies where you kind of like know that the character is nuts the whole way through, but it like. Mm. It doesn't matter because the like the point of it is a bit that he's nuts. It's that yes, there's this like there's this level of he like obviously is playing a mentally ill schizophrenic character. Mm. Um but at the same time it's seems completely reasonable as a viewer to go that yeah, he's like there's this rabbit guy named Frank and he's like kind of weird, but he's there, you know? Um, and it's everything that the film does. It doesn't make Donnie's experience seem weird to us as a viewer, but it's weird inside the film, which I think is a credit to it. I mm. think it makes us as the audience really um, engage with the film in a way that like it is, we are engaging from Donnie's perspective. We're engaging from that in that way that, um, it's not we know it's weird but it's not weird if that makes sense yeah 
I mean, I guess for us as viewers, we're more likely to accept anything that we see as well, since it's a film. Um, this but yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that really, the one thing that like messed with my mind really would be the origin of Frank, in that it's the dude who accidentally runs over his girlfriend. I you really feel I mean? like, in, especially in those last 15 minutes, yeah, in those last 15 minutes, you really get this like, much darker, like, the movie is not a light but um you get no a much like the last 15 minutes or so a quite drastic tonal shift yeah um, it's just like the last 15 minutes is when the mind fuckers um yeah because i guess like you get first of all you get frank is some dude who ran over his girlfriend who he then shot in the eye which is why the eye is all gnarly when yeah. he takes the mask off and stuff like that but then also you have a redo of the opening when the um, plane jet engine crashes into his room. And since obviously the first time he wasn't there, the rest of the movie occurs. But this one, he it then resets and he's now in the room and he yeah. dies, unfortunately. Which I guess, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, so I, I, th- I thought maybe that like the... He, he kind of dreamed the rest of the movie and then he got squashed like maybe the jet engine kind of entered his dream and he imagined the rest of it but that's also like a shit like i don't like the he dreamed thing so and the movie doesn't support that either that's just me saying maybe that's what happened yeah so, no, i i totally get I that know. i totally get that i uh like there is this temptation to go like oh yeah maybe i just dreamed it but i just don't that's not an interesting story and i think that like this movie definitely tells a more interesting story than oh he dreamed it up um I think there's a, like, what is interesting about that, though, is, like, obviously there's movies a lot about, like, what doesn't mean to um, die. Like, there's a lot of talk about um, death Mm. and what does it mean to die and um, how does your, like, how does the time between now and your death work can you choose it is it there's a lot of talk about this like about predeterminism and about whether you can choose to um alter um what happens between now and um when you die and and obviously this comes full circle when obviously um frank comes in right at the start of the movie tells donnie that he has 24 days uh not 24 28 days to live 28 28 days to live yeah um but he doesn't yeah. say he has 28 days to live. He says it has 28 days until the world ends. Um, and it's sort of this idea yeah. that I, I sort of read that as this idea of like, well, um, that combined with this talk, the discussion of like you, like everyone dies alone, um, is that like the end of your world is always like when you end. So... There's this, yeah, like, yeah, this running idea that, um, like, everyone's existence is unique to them, and there's a little bit of like, sort of, there's a little bit of solipsism tied in there as well, with the like, um, uh, Donnie's like own experience being holistically different from everyone else's, um, yeah. and, um, the his conviction that it is in fact real and it is in fact something there these things that he does are in fact things that he needs to do um but mm. yeah i think it definitely like it it tries to have this conversation about like do we have a choice in the actions that we undertake and um 
are, like, are we truly alone when we die? Or is that just, um, what? Uh, you get what I mean. I lost, uh, lost my train of thought. Yeah. Um, and it's questions that we're not going to answer in the uh, short little time we're going to discuss this film in either. Because um, these are like real existential big bad boy questions, which I think really goes to show how good the movie is. Um, it was a real thought maker. Um, mm. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I think I got a little bit of trivia here that's a little bit interesting, if you don't mind me sharing. Yeah, go, um, go ahead. So... The movie takes place in 1988. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world ends in 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds. If you add these numbers together, they sum to 88. Cool. Um, also, the DeLorean um, will try and tra- time travel at 88 miles per hour. Um, yeah, this is true. This is true. There's a lot of eights. There's a lot of eights that run through the the um like the movie, like uh Jim Cunningham's the pedophile's uh, house. He his um house burns down sometime around eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donnie mentions to his therapist that his dog died when he was eight. Just like the number eight just keeps reappearing. Mm. Um, which is which is curious because I don't actually know what that means. Um, it's just interesting. <laughs> um. Another thing, the red eye that um, Donnie's mum and his sister take after they go do sparkle motion in, mm-hmm. is it at Los Angeles they go to? Or yeah. I'm not sure where it is, but um, it's um, the flight number is 2806. They board at gate 42 and they leave at 12 a.m., uh, 2806, 42, 12. So it's just like these numbers keep running through the movie over yeah. and over again, which I think is really curious, especially since, as mentioned, I have no clue what the number, if the numbers have any more significance beyond what the movie yeah, gives them. I don't know. I mean, like, the movie does, um, <laughs> like, make its, like, it, it obviously is very much like, here's some numbers, have fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I have no clue. I mean, I guess, like, the idea is that maybe these numbers represent Donnie's death and, you know, his dog died when he was eight. Mm. And if these numbers are representing his death, you know, they're also related to eight. Uh, Jim Cunningham's career, I guess, died around eight o'clock when his house was set on fire because that's when the, uh, I just, and obviously time travel is a big part of the movie. And Mm. I guess it's more of a reference that the DeLorean reaches 88 miles per hour which do you reckon came first do you reckon they came up with those numbers and they were like oh shit we could do the delorean because it adds up to eight and then they wrote the rest of the things in or do you reckon it's just like a really happy coincidence uh, i i want to believe that they they came up with it but i think it's just a coincidence it's probably just a coincidence i'd have to agree with that um i guess some other interesting facts just quickly is that uh, uh reading here my little my little uh notes and also my my vigorous internet research um there's a shot of the bike to grandma's death uh it's a homage to steven spielberg's et which yeah. of course drew barrymore also starred in yeah um many years earlier when she was a lot younger yeah. um but yeah i think just you know overall um 
we all should have seen Jake Gyllenhaal as problematic from this portrayal of this character. Um, I also think, I don't think he helped himself when he did Nightcrawler either. Um, but I don't know why anyone was surprised uh, of the things that occurred. Because, um, you know, I mean, obviously, horrible things, but not surprising things. Mm. Uh, but yeah, uh, I guess, what else? Uh, can you think of anything else you want to mention? Um, uh, I don't think so. What, what would you, how would you rate this movie? Should we, should we do that? Ooh, I would give it five Taylor's versions out of seven. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um. Okay, we're going out of seven. <laughs> so I would give it. No, no, you pick your own. You pick pick I, your own reference. Oh no, we're not. We're not doing. Well, surely then I would go. It's um. Numbers are arbitrary. Uh, it's six days until the world ends out of eight. So the next film we have is not The Covenant. It's Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. That was very specific. Um, in not only the trivia I've read, but also just the film itself, very specifically stating it's Guy Ritchie's it's, The yeah. Covenant. I don't know if you noticed that. I, it was like it's, Mario yeah. Palauza's The Godfather type level of stuff. Yeah, no, it's... um, Yeah, it's... I, I mean, that's not, it's not just that. Like, obviously, there's a lot of guy richiness about this movie. Um, yes. Uh, from, like, the score and the cinematography specifically. Um, which, excellent, by the way. I really love the, um, mm. some of the, especially the landscape shots of this film. Just really beautiful. It's very good. Um, made me think of um, The Revenant a bit, which, um, by oh, yeah. Alejandro Inuritu. Um, I'm totally butchering that name, but... Um, <laughs> I said Pal- Palauzi when it's actually like Paluzi before, so don't so, stress about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely that like really highlighting... Um, I think that's something that like... I, I know we're not talking about The Revenant here, but it's it's there's movies that really like highlight the... Um, the natural wilderness and like the beauty of that and as alongside the, the beauty of the natural wilderness alongside the inherent danger of it. Um, but what was your, th- what was your thoughts yeah. on Guy Ritchie's The Covenant? Uh, I mean, we could just like, I have a couple of notes here that I would like to actually go through note by note, just cause I, this is what kind of my thought process as I watched it, if that's all yeah. right. Yeah. No, yeah. So my first thought was, my first thought was starting your movie with horse with no name is sick. Um, that's really cool. I love that song. And I was hooked immediately from that. Cause that's, that's such a cool, that's a cool intro for me. I like that a lot. Um, I had to point out that there's a character whose call sign is Jizzy. Um, um, yes, I will add to this. Um, I don't know if you have this down in your notes. Um, the guy who dies in the explosion at the beginning of the film, his name is Jack Jack. And all I could think about was Jack Jack from The Incredibles. Um, oh, he died too soon for me to make that up. 
for me to make that connection, but I probably would have made it eventually. Like, I don't know. There was just something. I know, like, obviously, like, awful, the guy dies in the explosion, but, like, it's Jack-Jack and he's Mm. blowing up the truck. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a classic Jack-Jack move, as anyone who's seen The the Incredibles knows. Yeah, lighting himself on fire. That is a classic Jack-Jack move. And I think... Uh, the next, the, the last couple, just two, one, two more. I'll only go by my notes two more times, just because there's, a, I have yeah. a lot that I don't want to just like continuously keep reading off. But I think that's an engine is a very funny line. Um, just when um he the we first meet um Mad Salim's character, what's his name again? Sorry, uh, Dar Salim. It's D A R Salim. Yeah, Dar Salim. When you first meet Dar Salim's character, and he says he's an engine, uh, a mechanic. And Jake Gyllenhaal points to his truck that he's currently sitting in and says, what's this? And then he just goes, that's an engine. And I was like, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, that's good stuff. <laughs> that made me chuckle out loud. I was very amused. I'm normally not like a huge fan of that, like sort of like broski, um, like military op, like his our like gang of misfits and will, mm. um, like make like the jokes with homoerotic undertones, um, like a ton. Oh, but yeah. I feel like there were just a, there were a couple yeah. that really <laughs> didn't land, and that was one of them. Didn't land for you? I, yeah, no, or... I think it definitely landed. that that one that line specifically. Yeah, that it definitely landed. Oh, good. Because I thought you said didn't land. I was like, are we going to have our first major disagreement on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, no, my next point actually, which was not the one I was going to use, but my next point was actually the homoeroticism in the army is very high um, to a level that I was unaware of. I don't know if this is real or not, um, but... I, I mean, it's not a new idea. It's definitely like, not, but just... You look at something like... You look at something like Top Gun, right? Oh, I mean, you look, um, yeah. And that's... Yeah, and, like, obviously that's the Navy and not the Army. Like, but, you there's know... There's a whole song um, about it. I, don't, I, I think there's, like... There is obviously a criticism of... um, Especially in the American military and... Um, like especially like gay issues uh, yeah. um in the military both in terms of like um sort of like don't ask don't tell mm. but also um just like the way it's been portrayed in media as this sort of like aha we're all guys and we're gonna make dick jokes around each other but i promise it's not gay guys <laughs> um so that's because that's the, that's the problem i had as well i guess was the reason why i do bring this up is because look homoerotic jokes very funny um i uh, you know friendship groups have them continuously it's very funny to kiss your friends obviously in a respectful manner but you know it's very it's very very good to kiss your very friends. good to kiss your friends go to kiss the homies good night all that stuff however i am well aware that spe- even specifically in the american army which this army is there's a lot of issues when it comes to people being lgbtqia plus and it just it makes me feel a little bit yeah. icky that I, I guess not. A, I, I don't know. I don't know what point I can make here, but it was that was more why I brought this up was because I think as compared to other films where there's this broy homoerotic feelings in mm. the army, this one felt egregious is the wrong word, but uh, most prolific, I guess, at least in the first part. Yeah, I, it's yeah, it's interesting because like once you get. F- 
past. I reckon that first, it's pretty much the first act of the mm. movie. Um, you, that, that part of it drops out completely, yeah. which makes sense given like what happens in the rest of the movie. Yeah. Sorry. We should say spoilers, by the way. Um, we're gonna, it makes complete sense. We're going to spoil the shit out of this film. <laughs> we're going to do spoilers. Like, obviously, his whole squad dies. Mm. Um, his whole, yeah, his whole squad dies in the movie, and you can't do the bro-y homoerotic um, jokes anymore because you can't do the bro-homoerotic jokes without the bros. Exactly. Can't um, kiss the homies goodnight if there's no homies. But, no homies. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Um. Yeah, it's it, it's very interesting, and I'm not quite sure whether it's like intentionally so in this way. Because mm. as much as it like would sort of be nice to sign it off as like, yeah, we're making fun of like the problems um, regarding queer issues in the American military. I just don't think that is really what's happening here. I honestly reckon it's just a Guy Ritchieism because it's very Guy Ritchie these types of jokes. Yeah, just, um, yeah. I mean, I was. I guess the big question is how much Guy Ritchie have you watched, and like, would you say you've seen? Um, me personally, um, uh, I've probably watched more than I realized. Um, and haven't gone oh, That's Guy Ritchie film. Um, he did Aladdin. But, did you know that? Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, I did know that somewhere in the back insane, of my mind. Um, insane but, film that he did. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not something that I can yeah. pretty confidently go on. Like, yeah, that's guy, that's Guy Ritchie. Yeah, but like you, you know a bit, you know bits and pieces about like what his style is and yeah, um, yeah. So I'm a very I like Guy Ritchie a lot. I enjoy his films a lot. Um, mm. I would be the first to say he's a very talented but faulted director. Um, he has he mm. does a lot of things really well, and he does a lot of things really poorly. Um, number one being, as we're probably going to find with a lot of directors, no no real female voice at all ever in any of his films. Um, yeah, we we get what we um, get his wife, his wife, and who who acts as kind of just a driving force f- as motivation for Jake Gyllenhaal, mm. and then we get Dar Salim's wife, who's also who's even lesser in the film, but also is equally just a, as a driving force for the, yeah. the character, like for character motivation. Yeah, to the it, it the, the I mean it just makes it becomes a protect wife film, like protect wife. Must yeah. save family, protect wife, protect child. Oh no, yeah. um, Taliban bad. Uh, yeah. which I'm sure we can all agree, Taliban bad. <laughs> Taliban bad. Yes. Um, did we want to talk about um this like criticism about um what like what the what this film is about and, yes, the, and the criticism the actual message of, of the film um, <laughs> the the um the yeah obviously the problem with the extraction of, of american forces from afghanistan in um 2001 not 2021 2021 yeah. <laughs> um, 2020 in 2021 and um obviously all these i keep saying obviously i don't know i keep saying obviously yeah, it's pretty obvious um, all these people who um <laughs> worked uh, for the US military as translators and um, interpreters, local guides and things like yeah. that, that um, just got left. Yeah, got 
stuck in um, Taliban control Afghanistan um, with no real options mm. um, but to do things like go into hiding. Um, and I think this film does a really interesting job about doing that while still um, sort of being pro-military enough to be able to get the funding to make a film like this. I get what you're saying. Um, I think it rides a decent line of like saying, look, the military looks out for these people, even though it's quite obviously saying, no, it doesn't. It doesn't do that. That's not the case mm -hmm. at all. I mean, because the final message is, it says that a bunch of people got executed and the rest of them are still in hiding. Um, mm. it's, it's, it is very, it is very amusing to say, yes, I would agree that this film feels army pro because Jake Gyllenhaal's character is army and so we're like mm. oh Jake Gyllenhaal's doing the right look he's he's doing everything he can to get this one guy out even though I think I think it's yeah it slipped through because Jake Gyllenhaal throughout like the second half of the film once he's home is basically cussing the fuck out of every <laughs> single person he can talk to uh, until eventually he works his way up to the command to the general that he managed to save in some something we've ne we mm. never saw that part but like he you know he has a he has a, a favor and manages to be like you get them mm. those goddamn visas I will go in and get those people, yeah. get them out because no one else is going to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy film. Crazy that, yeah, I think crazy that um, what you said basically, yeah, it's that low uh, that yeah, line of toes. I've got I've got written down here. Yeah, yeah I I've, I've got written down here. It's it's sort of got this anti-military stance, not not anti-military, um, this pro-military stance while being anti-government. Mm. Um, I think I see what you're saying. It's kind and, of like, yeah, that individual military versus like the actual military industry type thing. Yeah, yeah, it um, doesn't exist. Yeah, in a way, <laughs> and that. definitely this. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it has this um problem that you get with a lot of this kind of media, which is that um the story that you want to tell is like the good cop story. Yeah. Like you want to say, um. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, um, John Kinley, he's like the good commander. Like he's a bit of a dick, but he's like good-hearted and he cares about um, this like this guy enough to go back and save. Which him. is actually um, sorry. Do you mind if I step in as you're saying this? Which is insane because even in, yeah, no, even go, in go, the go. first part, in the first act, we get John Kinley say, "Look." due process sucks ass let me just do my own justice and go kidnap people without like proper sanctioning and stuff like they black bag a guy yeah they black bag a guy and they don't and like and like they they don't they have in quotation mark the go ahead because the commander's like i don't want to know what you're so they, they, it's like obviously horrible shit that they're doing but like yeah uh, i, I think <laughs> Yeah, Guy Ritchie's not pulling any punches in terms of its criticism of like military procedure and um, turn the other way, the way especially the Amer the American military is perceived outside of the states. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense since he's a uh, British. He's also a British director, which makes it yeah, that's exactly. an, that's an important standpoint. Which means he's not blinded by the need to paint his country in a good light. It's not his country. What I did want to talk about though mm. is um, the way that. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, how John Kingley is characterized in that sort of second half of the film. Sure. Um, 
Now, obviously, he's a fucker. Said it again. <laughs> so John Kinley is uh, portrayed as this guy who wants to go back and um, save this guy who saved his life, mm-hmm. um, which to me makes perfect sense. Admirable um, and like, understandable in, in this kind of story. Yeah. And, and and um, yeah, he's admirable in that sense. However, I I think I don't know whether this is a just the way that I'm interpreting it or whether this is more intentional, but there's this level of self-pity that um, Jake John Hall gives across in some of the dialogue. Like, um, is, you get like, this. It's it, like, like the one where like he's sitting in bed and he's like, I can't sleep because some dude in Iraq, yeah, uh, Afghanistan is... Yeah, it's the I, I can't sleep. Yeah, I yeah. did get that i was actually i I forgot it up until you said that i was thinking that when i watched it but then i forgot immediately after that scene moved on i do agree it's very much like it tracks back onto him yeah it 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 feels a bit and like this sort of plays back into that sort of um good cop white savior narrative Mm. of like um, I'm going to go in and rescue the guy, but it's because it's my own choice and my own volition rather than I should be helping this guy. Yeah. Um, and um, honestly, I think that does what otherwise is I, a movie I quite enjoyed a disservice. Mm. Right? Quite enjoyed a disservice. Did I say that <laughs> no, you right? said I think you're good. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like there's definitely an extent to which the... Um, empathy that I have for or the sympathy that I have for uh, John Kinley is undermined by his level of self-pity. Yeah. I definitely agree. Um, I think the other issue is that uh, I, I mean, I get he's an army dude, but in the first the first act of the movie he is just a dick. Specifically to the interpreter yes. as well, like the guy who eventually saves his life, which I guess makes it even more of like a, a turnaround by the end, like the second or oh, the second slash third act of the film, where he is very adamant on trying to mm-hmm. get like it's like even though I was a dick to him, he saved me. But I think mm-hmm. I required some. Oh, I guess you get his kids and his wife on video chat for like two seconds to give him like humanizing qualities but like that's yeah. not good enough for me <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like enough especially yeah, since as far as i'm aware whenever you saw the kids and the wife jake gyllenhaal's picture just doesn't move like in the bottom right hand corner i'm pretty sure it was stationary <laughs> like I, I i i was watching it and i was like because those points where like he's rubbing his face when he's talking when it cuts back to him but it cut back to the screen and it, like i know this is such a small nitpick but i noticed it and i was like i don't think he's moving i could be wrong so i didn't notice it till the end of that like interaction but I don't think he moved. I think it's a stage. I think it's a PNG of Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> uh, no, my thing was he. Every time he interacted with his kids, it was like, "Hi, kids, please leave the room." Um, yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Hi, kids, I want to talk to my my uh, my what's the word I'm looking for? Wife? My driving force? Sorry, no, my wife. My be- I beg your pardon. You're right. Not my driving force. My wife. My motivation." <laughs> Let me talk to my motivation real quick. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's definitely it's 
definitely I like that it is sort of contained in that way and that like it is just about a couple mm. of characters. Um but the fact that the like these ancillary characters were put around them and not given much life to them at all sort of just feels a bit uh, undeveloped. Like, it feels like uh, yeah, it feels undeveloped, or it feels like uh, like it, it, even something like that could have just been left on the cutting room floor completely. Um, yeah, because it's a long film; it's like two hours. Yeah, so like, like cut, cut it down, I, I, guy. I couldn't even see that. That middle section of the film where he's um, on the phone to the um, military repatriation office um, mm. to get these visas, um, I could see that as him being alone in his house, like being haunted by his experience with no one oh, to come so to you. You're saying if they removed the family altogether, like it would become an even big, like this idea that this is all he has beyond like yeah. his family and beyond. I, yeah. I see what you're saying now. I, I think it's just an interesting choice of like putting these characters who are there for just a little while. Um, they don't really do much. They, as we talked about, like there's a lacking, there's a lack of, um, uh, uh, female characters in this film and when they are portrayed they have a couple of lines and uh, frankly ju- are just used to motivate the main character and it's definitely one of those films where it sort of feels like you could just cut them out completely and it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. Um, I think I'd like to also quickly just talk about like the actual action though that we get to see in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think action is something Guy Ritchie does pretty well. Um, like he obviously he did um, the the Sherlock Holmes films, and those are like mm. very fun action romps. Not good representations of the Sherlock Holmes character in any way, but oh, they're fun films. Very fun. They're very fun films. <laughs> so fun. Um, he also did uh, a, the highly underrated, I believe, Man from Uncle, um, which oh, no, I really I like think that. Should have gotten. Yeah, I, I think it's underrated as all hell. I think, I don't know why it got screwed over in the way it did. Um, he also did, look, I haven't seen it since it came out, but when I saw it, I really did enjoy his King Arthur film. Um, yeah, I've, I've I need to rewatch it. I need to rewatch it. But point is, in all of these films, good action. Like, the action is nice. Mm. It's like, it's it's stylized in a way that suits the genre of the film but mm. still clear as well. Like, he shoots clear shit, which is, in this day mm. and age, I mean, I guess John Wick's kind of fixed it a little bit, but still, being able to see what's going on is very yeah. nice. Um, no, I, but I, 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 like, I, I, I like, liked a lot... Oh, sorry. No, I just... Like, you get a lot of these kind of shots which are much like wider than you would see in a like typical yeah. um, uh, action movie from like the last couple of years um, where you just get to see a lot more um, of how these characters interact with their environment. Um, like, even that scene, the scene, obviously the biggest action scene in this movie is um, when they do the um, strike on the um, bomb manufacturing plant. Um, so is that the mine, like, when everyone at the gets killed? abandoned mine at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you get these great shots of their, like, starting this, like, mini car chase. Um, and it's just this nice, like, pulled back shot 
Um, so when the stacking card, the trailing card blows up, it doesn't feel like you're sitting there expecting it to do something. It just feels mm. sort of like the action is playing in its environment rather than the environment is designed to be have act, designed to have action in it. It's got that born uh, ident- uh, born not identity, but it was when Paul Greengrass started doing them, which would have been supremacy and ultimatum. Um, where basically the cameramen were told that the action's going to happen in this area, but they weren't told exactly what to do. So it was shot like kind of very documentary style because the cameraman mm. had to figure out what to shoot during the actual action. It's got obviously not as shaky, not as unpracticed, but it's got that similar mm. vibe of like they haven't zoomed in on something because they know it's going to happen. Mm. It, it happens like left of center. It happened it, mm. it, like very much like look. Neither of us have been in a war zone, so we can't speak to this. But you, how the how a war zone is often described, and that just shit happens, and you don't know how or why it occurred, yeah. and but people die just randomly around you. Um, uh, especially some of the like, um, the early deaths are quite confronting. They like, um, you, like someone gets shot, and you're like, holy shit! Like this has mm. stakes. Um. Like even if it is a bit, um, I, I, to a degree, I think this like it it loses track a bit of loses track of this a bit later in the film, um, but it feels like mm. uh, especially early on, there's there's uh like every bullet has impact, um, and um, yeah. no one feels like they're a goon at the beginning of the film. I feel like it, mm. like it doesn't keep that consistently but um definitely yeah near the start there's yeah i definitely agree um i think on the point about people being a goon i think the people who were important to not be goons get killed off pretty quickly mm. <laughs> so once it get after that point the movie kind of doesn't care about anyone else who's introduced yeah. in the war zone specifically because obviously most people we meet at that after that point is just taliban yeah. i think i don't recall any soldiers really appearing after that as combatants that is not until yeah. like the very end when they drop in the um the fucking specter and just the, yeah the angel of death the taliban the angel of yeah. death yeah um which I, at that point i wouldn't call that a combatant i would call that um target practice um if you yeah uh like, let's not go into the issues of like war war crimes and drones and all that yeah um but yeah look rough um but i think what i do want to point out though was i don't know if you got this vibe but watching some some of the shots where they're shooting each other and all that felt like the youtube channel rocket jump no i definitely get that i definitely get that yeah i I had a very similar reaction i went oh this feels like i'm looking at like gameplay of call of duty um yeah but not even that, just like the way like certain bullet impacts work, the effects that are yeah. used, the way the bullets look. Like while what I'm what the people are doing is very well choreographed, I'd say the actual effects and I assume this is just a budget constraint because like this movie probably got fuck all budget. Yeah. Um I just I'm I'm not gonna look it up. But like Guy Ritchie doesn't Guy Ritchie doesn't make gangbusters and this film's an MA film as well, yeah. so it would get no it would get no budget. It didn't look brilliant. Didn't pull me out, but it was kind of like a. <laughs> I feel like I I could watch this on a YouTube channel. I'd be like, this is pretty good. But now I'm watching it on a film, and I'm like, this is bad. Yeah, like this is not good. I, look, I'm. It's 
yeah, I think I think I feel similarly. It's not, and it wasn't enough to take me out of the film, but it was definitely enough for me to go, hey, this is a bit like embarrassing, in- interesting. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look. I think the one other point I want to make about the action is, you know, that part, like, right after... It's right when they have their snooze after escaping the bomb-making factory mm-hmm. before um, Kinley gets shot and all yeah. that. Um, and they are on that hill, and they roll down, like, the hill, yeah. and they do, like, that t- like that big tumble. And it's really... It's actually really good. I thought it was a really good set piece. That whole set section actually is really good. Mm. But the issue is that um, Hot Rod also did that exact same stunt i don't know if you've seen hot rod no sorry it's an it's an andy sandberg film about a guy who wants to be a stunt man <laughs> and as you can t- and andy sandberg being a, a comedy guy and it's like called bill it's like you know bill Hader, yeah. uh other such like uh snl yeah. alumni yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a scene where he trips and falls down a hill and it's like extended and like, it's like the John Wick chapter four stair scene, but done even more. I don't know if you've seen I John Wick. Have, I've seen the first one. I oh, haven't fuck. seen any of the rest. <laughs> fuck. Okay. Well, that's just a spoiler then. Whoops. Um, ignore that part. Uh, I should have put a warning for that. Um, but cut that. Uh, <laughs> It's like um, it's like it's like this long scene where just this guy falls down a hill, and it's like comedic levels of like like him doing this. Uh, watch it; it's very funny. Um, but I, I, I whenever I see that scene, because it happens in other military specific mm. movies, I think like Survivor did it, like the Mark Wahlberg film or something like that. I'm not, I can't remember exactly, but they there are points where like just SAS people will throw themselves down a hill. Mm. Um. And well, not SAS, sorry, uh, special forces people yeah. will throw themselves down a hill. I just can't think of anything else but hot rod when I'm watching those types of scenes, which does ruin it. But it is very much saved because I thought like the scene right after that, or like the set piece right after that, where they're having to stealth their way mm. through like a canyon, was really cool. Mm. I really enjoyed that. That was very interesting. Like I perked up a little bit. I sat up and I was like, this is this is kind of cool. I think stealth stuff isn't done enough, and I like it when it's done well. Mm. And it, it was just cool. I thought it was really cool. My biggest criticism with the film really is that um that and the and the the I, I, I would call it the act that immediately follows it after John Kingley gets um shot and um mm. uh Dasalim's character, um Ahmed has to carry him through um mm. these mountains is just like you have this sense of this really effective sense of suspense and this um almost like thrillingness to it um that i'm yeah. a really big fan of and i just kind of wish there was more of it um that part definitely felt cut short mm. like that whole like whether he's dragging him through the um it felt cut short definitely like they were like all right time to move we've, we've had enough of this time to move on to the next part of the film like it's especially interesting given that like, you get these flashbacks to like bits that i'm not sure that we actually saw um <laughs> like you get you have that like montage bit where um uh Jake Gyllenhaal's character is um like have these flashbacks about like being mostly unconscious is this, and is this when he's drunk and trying to talk to the um government yeah, like, and he like freaks that, the fuck in out that, like whole yeah. like scene I'm sure there were shots in there that were just um like obviously there were 
the from that part of the movie, but I'm not convinced we actually saw those parts of the movie. <laughs> I get what you I mean, a lot of it could have been very much just like, yeah, throw in some stuff. It could be it could be Arabian. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know what it, it's like stuff like that. Like, you don't know where we shot this. You don't know who you don't know us. We shot it upside down. It's him. Yeah. He, he's 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 a snoozer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very much like that. I do but I do agree, like I do think that that part, the the, the part where Dar Salaam takes over and becomes like the main character mm. for a little bit, he's really good. He's by the excellent. way, um, he's really good. I hope he's in more stuff. Um, I had a look at what he, else he was in, and it's like vaguely big, but like nothing huge. And he's always like fifth or sixth build as mm. well at the most. So I hope he gets more work because he's great. Yeah, he was um, really excellent. He, um, I reckon, was my favorite performance in that movie. Um, he was definitely better than Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal plays a lot of this movie, and honestly, a lot of Donnie Darko as well. He plays completely, um, very like just completely flat, um, and which works for Donnie Darko. It does work for Donnie Darko. It does not work for this movie. <laughs> I like he's a good actor, and I do like him in a lot of stuff. But I think this this was a paycheck for him. It felt mm. very much like he wasn't passionate about this. He wasn't putting his whole. Um, jealousy into it as it were um Um, yeah i think that's especially interesting and like i know we talked about this in terms of budget and in terms of um what like guy richie's trying to do but this came out straight to amazon prime um did it not get a theater i don't believe it did um i might be wrong if i'm wrong i'm happy to cut this bit out (laughs) (laughs) no leave it in leave your follies in hold on i'm not gonna check it Um, i'll I'll, I'll one viewer can fact check you i'll double check guy (laughs) richie's the covenant i think it got like a really mediocre one though like it wasn't very mediocre release is good i'm just looking at the numbers now it's 55 million in budget and 21.2 in box office Oh, um, so that's a flop and a half. Yeah, that's less than half of its budget back. Um, and that's that, that. I assume that's not even including like, but because you can usually double the budget for to include um ad, advertising, mm. so that wouldn't have. That's why you have to like make double the money yeah. to be considered a success at all. Oh, that's rough. Guy Ritchie makes flops though, and not because he makes bad films, but just because he makes movies that people don't want. Um. All right. No. Okay. So I can confirm that mm. outside of the United States, this film did not get a theatrical release. So it was just the... the Sorry, it was released yeah, in it. the States in April 21st, on April 21st this year um, by mm. MGM and internationally re- was released on Amazon Prime Video. So obviously here in Australia, we didn't get a theatrical release for this film. And yeah. um, I just think, like, obviously there's a discussion, there's a probably much larger discussion to be had on uh, streaming exclusive films and I know that I've had a lot of discussions about um, the problems with streaming exclusive media and the fact that um, more and more uh, films and shows and things are becoming um, increasingly hard to find if they perform badly for instance so yeah. um, like given a movie like this given, a movie, given the fact that it's um, financially performed quite poorly even though it's critically like um being a reasonable success and i think you and i can both safely say that we enjoyed this film um, we did yeah well i did i i, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed this film i think yeah it's 
my concern is always not with something like this, but if the only way that we're getting access to this film and the only people who are funding this film or these kind of films that are even by respected directors, relatively smaller films, um, if they're only going to be available on streaming, how are we going to be able to um, be able to like, not just revisit this, but um, be able to have access to this and other streaming exclusive media going into the future. No, I definitely think it's like, especially with like, I mean, very recently you had uh, HBO get gutted, like all of Warner Brothers is getting gutted completely. Mm. And a TV show that I really like, uh, Final Space, once it's um, leases up on Netflix for, because up in America, it's not on Netflix, it's Mm. on something else, but it's, it's got streaming rights out here. But those will run out eventually. And once those run out, you can't get it legally anywhere mm. final space um and there's other shows that are just like that everywhere like on every single like if something were to happen it's gone yeah like forever and there's nothing we can do to get it no it's a shame and i am a, i've become a much stronger proponent of physical media over the last couple of months especially um yeah just seeing a lot of this stuff happen with that um, the HBO Warner acquisition um, mm. with things like the, uh, it's not my thing at all, but the um, Grease TV show that went straight to streaming <laughs> that immediately got taken it's down. It's right? It's just gone. It's just gone it? and you yeah. can't access it anywhere. Um, and it's just, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a shame really. Um, and I have some, concerns about um the fact that like films like especially good films are not um being produced in a way that allows them to be um retained um like preserved and kept around yeah no it's definitely like i mean the next martin scorsese is an apple Mm. as an apple exclusive and like fuck man if something were to happen like we'd lose a Scorsese yeah. film. I mean, like, and that's that's insane. In the, in the in the very unlikelihood that Apple goes bust, for instance, what happens to all the properties that like um, mm-hmm. they not only are like licensing, but um, Apple especially is doing a lot of original content. Um, I think it's almost all original content on. It's 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 a bit confusing. I think you're almost correct. There's like a slight amount of. Stuff yeah, that's but there's a lot yeah. of original content. If in yeah. a hypothetical world Apple goes bust, what happens to all of that original content when um, the only way to access it is through a um, functionally a server that is controlled by a company that no longer exists? Yeah, I mean, look, spooky. Um... <laughs> Thank God we got to watch the Covenant before it before dis- before yeah, Zaslav ate it. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, uh, before Jeff I'm just trying to see if Bezos like imploded it. I have a couple of other points I just wanted to go through. Yeah. Um, I always feel a little weird when heroic slash inspirational music plays when the villains in quotation mark of a war movie are dying. Um, this one, in this one, there's like a spot where like, I think it's when the Americans show up to extract 
Kinley or Jake Gyllenhaal's character, they shoot a bunch of Muslims and like it's the music's very like they did it they won or something it's like something I can't remember exactly the, but it's like something like that yeah and I don't like that the, the, another movie that did that was also uh, Hacksaw Ridge when the opposing Japanese general commits seppuku there's some serious like heroic music going on and it really makes me uncomfortable yeah I mean <laughs> I, I watched this um with my partner and my housemate um just pointing it out of the room and the mm. wonder that kept getting spat over and over again is like what is this iron man one because there's this like it's this super heroic music about the americans being saved or um like talking about how like great they are showing how great they are like trying to demonstrate this american exceptionalism and Mm. um yeah like frankly it's it's much more complicated than that um and yeah i'm not going to be the one i'm not going to like say that makes the Taliban redeemable but Mm. it's not that um you can say the Americans are always right especially given um the actions that they have taken in war zones um including (laughs) Afghanistan um Uh, including funding the Taliban (laughs) Taliban. um so yeah I think it's it's definitely rich um to like have that um, sort of contrasting like audio, audio video type, sort of thing. Yeah, it's just rough. I just don't think at any point in time in a movie like this where it's set about real factions of people who mm. are obviously everyone is complex. Mm. Like, look, I'm not going to defend the actions of either side, mm. but there's there's individuals in both sides who think they are doing the right thing mm. and neither deserve to die and i don't think it's heroic to kill them yeah um i also wanted to say from a white man's perspective Mm. um it was nice to see that the muslim some muslim communities were shown to not be siding with the Taliban. like it's it was nice to Mm. be like the whole thing like not every muslim's a taliban type thing like that was nice like like the had like a lot of them were like we don't like the taliban but we kind of have to deal with them because they run the country yeah i that was it was obviously so ham-fisted. Yeah. And I think the real issue is that we don't get enough of that representation. Yeah, I mean this that I'm like that like the, the crumb that I received. I was like, mm, nom 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 nom. Yeah. I'll eat that up. Yum yum yum. The, I, the standard for so long <laughs> has just been, um, uh, well, like all Muslims are terrorists, which is uh, something that Hollywood is slowly working its way out of. Um, yeah. Thankfully, um, and. Like yeah, as you said, it's it's really good to see in this film that there is um like a diversity amongst like characters, frankly, is yeah. um is what is what it is and it's not sticking to this line of like um of what movies set in places like Afghanistan have typically been f- for quite a while now. Um but yeah, think- it's it's not a like perfect example of that it's more just a well it's not garbage (laughs) yeah well i think i think the thing i just really liked was that it didn't do the thing where it's like the interpreter dasalam he's one of the good ones yeah he's he's a good one it's like no these are people who occur all over the place in these communities it's just unfortunate the leading community like the leading group are this very 
controversial, very uh, violent association. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't want to go into too much depth on beyond that. I just wanted to point out that it was nice that the film did that, but I guess more work needs done to be done yeah. still. But, yeah. um, um, the, an attempt was definitely made, though. No, it's, it, um, it's, it's good to see that it is becoming um, more normalized to just have people be people um, mm. than um, like divided up into like white people think this muslims think this yeah like yeah um, yeah it's, it's good and yeah it's 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 good to see that we can just have people as characters <laughs> actors playing characters um they don't have to conform to um the typically white um rhetoric like the white yeah rhetoric the stereotypical rhetoric of um Taliban bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, another point, uh, trying to get a visa in America seems very similar to trying to get some money from Centrelink. Um, um, you say that, but trying to get a visa in Australia is equally shit. That's um, true. I mean, you know what? Maybe it's just a general trying to talk to the government over the phone I, thing. I think it's... it's I, I, the bureaucracy. As much as I don't want to make light of um, some of the hardships in this movie, God, I think... Um, Jake Gyllenhaal spending a month on the phone to an American bureaucracy. God, it's got to be the hardest thing in, in that whole film. <laughs> that's like, that's, he, he, he was dying for a good part, portion of the first bit, but I think he had a harder suffering like, on that phone. It's, <laughs> I mean, he was unconscious for a lot of that first part. Unconscious um, and smoking a lot of opium. Oh, so much dope. <laughs> So much dope. Um, I think one thing I want to point out, uh, going back, this is kind of going back to like earlier points about how I like the action and all that, but I think that scene when um, Darsalem's character and his wife and his child are in hiding and the Taliban rock up to that town mm. and there's a guy on the phone telling him where they are. We don't see it, mm. but we're getting the directions from the guy on the phone. Mm. That was really good. Like mm-hmm. that was like really good tension because he's like he's coming to the door and you're like you're with the character and you're like waiting for the guy to open the yeah. door like it's, and I think I think it was all in one shot as well so like really flowed like we're just there with the character yeah I, that was really well directed scene and um yeah you definitely get that character experience rather than that um sometimes omniscient um mm. viewer experience which yeah was a really nice touch especially in like that situation which is like uh trying to emulate this incredibly tense incredibly high pressure environment yeah um, that um yeah we like hey the character doesn't know what's going to happen uh to him and his family and we the viewer are in, along for the ride and yeah um we have just as much information as he does and um yeah it, it definitely built it adds to that the tension of that scene I definitely get, yeah. And my last point that I'll point out, oh, well, my last two, sorry, is I'm irritated that Anthony Starr wasn't in this movie more. He was the um, the guy, he was the mercenary guy at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, he plays Homelander in um. Yeah, that's right, he does too. Um, I think he's a brilliant actor. Uh, he's, if you haven't seen Banshee, the TV show, I'd recommend that. Um, the Hot Boys is a very good show as well. He's brilliant. He's like, like the whole show is good, but he's like the real seller of that show. Mm-hmm. And 
he, he wasn't in this enough. Um, he needed to be in this more. I wanted him and Jake Gyllenhaal to both like extra like uh, go in infiltrate together. That's why I thought where the movie was going. Yeah, but it didn't, and I was disappointed. And then my final final point is, um, I'm glad that the Covenant gave me a definition of what the Covenant what means covenant because is at the end of the movie, I was yeah. kind of like. Oh, I think I know what it means, but I'm gonna have to look it up after the movie's over to make sure I know what it means. But then the movie did it for me, so that was nice of it. Uh, I don't know. I thought that was a bit on the nose. I mean, look, yes, but for someone who was gonna have to look it up anyway, it was nice that they told me. <laughs> um, uh, there's not much trivia on this movie. Um, the, the, it ranges. This is this is just IMDb because this movie has basically no following. Um, yeah. They just go into the uh, the history of the terminology "click," which is a kilometer. Yeah. Uh, originally, this film was called "The Interpreter." That, um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it was changed to Guy Ritchie's "The Covenant" in order to avoid any confusion with the earlier "The Covenant" two thousand and six. So Clearly, they, a very famous film. So why didn't they? Just keep it as the interpreter. Is there maybe another interpreter film? I'm not really sure. Um, the end credits show pictures differing from those of the actors. Many films have done this when telling a true story, but this story is entirely invented, though similar to some real events. <laughs> I actually, that one's got, one, I actually yeah. quite like that touch at the end of the film. So. No, it's nice that they showed... I actually do like that. It's more just the, how this was worded. Yeah. No, um, um, so, yeah, at the end of the film, you get these um, the credits rolling with these um, photos of uh, interpreters with US military personnel. Um, a lot of with faces redacted. Some of it as well. like I think it was like a lot of the interpreters were redacted, mm. which I think really hammered home how many of these people, are, these real people, are still stuck in that fucking country. Yeah, and that one, and that the Americans aren't getting out. Yeah, <laughs> and us as well. I'd say actually, honestly, I mean, we probably are just as bad. Mm. I yeah, I I know that Australia just did a lot of like support for the U.S. military, but. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure exactly yeah. of any specifics, but um, it's it sort of was nice to see this. Um, like, as much as this is very like a patriotic, um, like pro-military, pro-America sort of story, mm. it is. Um, it's sort of nice to see. That like there were real relationships between these people. Um, yeah. Like I have no sympathy for, um, for people who actively want to engage in a war zone, um, mm. because that like that's the kind of person I am. But uh, it it in a way is like does really hammer home. Like th- this is it's not a real story, but it's based on, um the kind of things in the lives of these people um, and the actual relationships that they built with each other and the actual circumstances that they're in now. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't know if I have much else to say. Uh, how about you? Uh, I don't think so. What would you, what would you rate this? Uh, I'll give it, uh, three black sites out of five. 
Um, I, I'm gonna go with the the variation in <laughs> scoring numbers is doing my head in. Um, I'm I'm gonna go with uh uh um uh. <laughs> I, I, I killed your brain. You did. Um, I killed it. I'm gonna go uh three days on the phone to uh American government department out of five. That's a lot of time to spend on the it's phone. It's a lot of time to spend. He spent like a, Just in gen- a month spent 28 on the phone. Days. Was it 28 days? It was, I think it was about a month, yeah. No, no, because if it was 28 days, that meant he spent the same amount of time on the phone as he did waiting for the world to end in Donnie Darker. That's so deep. <laughs> Dude, do you reckon that was deliberate? Hey. I, think that's, uh, I think that's the blockbusted podcast for this week. Yep, that's it. Uh, I think we'll drop maybe our letterbox profiles into the, into the well, show notes yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, put the, we'll put our letterbox profiles in the show notes and we don't have a official we don't have any official um podcast social media yet maybe can, we'll, we'll can, wait a little bit you can email us at uh what was it do we have an email yes we do we made an email oh we did um you... it's... <laughs> we'll put it in the notes we'll put it in the notes it's, uh Walkbuster.potty at gmail.com. That's P O double D I E. We'll put it in the notes. Um, <laughs> if you want to email oh. us, oh no, there's no dot. It's just Walkbuster Potty. See, I'm already, already doing a bad job. As um, as I said, we'll we'll put it in the notes so that you don't have to listen to this dysfunctional ass <laughs> outro. Um. Well, until next time, keep busting those blocks. <laughs> Yep, uh, I've been Max. And I've been Mitch. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. For getting blockbusted. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and, and the podcast ended there. <laughs>